Hello and welcome to the Why God Why podcast. This is Peter Englert. I'm with John Amayo. Before our show starts, uh, we are doing episode five of season one, and we are answering one of the most fundamental questions people have about Christianity. Why is Jesus the only way to God? And our guest is someone that um, brings a very unique and insightful perspective to this conversation. John, you want to introduce our guest today? I sure do. Yeah, it's somebody that I've known for about 12 years now, believe it or not, as I think back on it. My time knowing Sherwin Damdar, who is our uh, guest host for the day. Sherwin is just a really brilliant person. You're about ready to be exposed to some of that brilliance. Uh, I know that our conversation was really impactful for me. I think you're going to love not only the fact that he balances this brilliance, but he balances it with just an authenticity that is is really, really meaningful, and our conversation really goes there today. So you're going to love that. Here's what Sherwin says about himself. Sherwin says, Sherwin is an optimist, Christian, husband, dad, outdoors and traveling enthusiast. He grew up in Jamaica and moved to Rochester, New York for college and has lived there ever since. He's worked and volunteered in a number of different roles in engineering, business, management, and Christian ministries, and passionate about seeking God's kingdom in whatever we do or where we work, whether sacred or secular. That is totally true, and then some about Sherwin. I know that uh, I was impacted by this conversation. Peter, I think you were too. Oh, it, it was very, very impactful. And of course, Sherwin is actually in my small group, so um, this is just, you get a little taste of what I uh, hear and experience on a weekly basis. Let's get right to our episode. Welcome to the Why God Why podcast brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. My name is Harry Gibbs. I'm a member at Browncroft and I'm joined by my fellow host, Peter Engler, Director of Adult Ministries at Browncroft and John Amayo, New York State Crew Director. Today's topic is Why God Why is Jesus the Only Way? Before we welcome in today's guests, let's take a moment to summarize what we mean with this question. So we'll welcome in uh, John and Peter. Guys, uh, what are we asking here when we ask, why God, why is Jesus the only way? Yeah, Harry, I, I appreciate you framing this. And we have a great guest today who I think has a unique perspective to this. But I think one of the critiques of people that follow Jesus and even the church is, on one hand, we talk about Jesus being so open and loving and accepting of other people. But on the other hand, there's this exclusive claim that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I think that that's a struggle that even if you're in church, you kind of wonder about. I know that there's people in small groups that talk about that. I know that it's questions that come up on college campuses, and it just raises doubt of how can this Savior that's so open be so exclusive at the same time? Yeah, I, I I think that is one of the traditional bigger critiques of the Christian faith and what it means to follow Jesus is the exclusivity. Um, I think uh, something that's kind of important to remember, and for me, this is this is new. This is on the front burner for me. I think over the last few years, something has changed culturally for us in our society. 
And before that time, I think anybody who claimed there was such a thing as something being absolutely true was kind of shunned. They were like, no, you can't believe something is absolutely true. That was the biggest no-no. But I think over the last few years, what you've seen, especially with the rise of social media, is people on far extremes both claiming these truths and you know particularly the last presidential election you had things come up like fake news that became this word that part of our social consciousness that we didn't have before was was this concept of fake news and now we talk about it as if it's normal well i think that's the reason there is because we're realizing that not everything is true and it's coming to the surface now that you just can't say everything has the same validity. So what you have are these two extremes that are kind of battling it out. And then you have people in the middle who are kind of in this state of, I don't know what in the world to believe. I kind of am nihilistic. I just feel like there really aren't any answers. Is it even possible to know answers anymore? Um, and that's where a lot of people find themselves. Maybe even a lot of people listening to our podcast right now where they find themselves in the middle of these discussions. So I think Jesus meets us there and he invites us into a deeper uh, experience of what it means to, to follow truth. Is there truth? And uh, I'm excited to have Sherwin here with us today. He's someone who's been on this journey and uh, a good friend of Peter and myself. So uh, it's exciting to have uh, Sherwin here. I know he's going to add a ton to this discussion uh, as we dive in today about it. Yeah, Sherwin, we're, we're just going to get right into it because I, I think that you have a unique story. You know, we have some questions to get ready, but, you know, I, I think you just kind of sharing your story and your background first to help listeners from your family perspective, I think that that's going to help us really engage this topic. So why don't you kind of share, you know, you and your family's journey to faith, and then we'll just jump right in. Yeah, sure. So... I'm, I'm Sherwin, and it's it's a real privilege to be here. I will say there's a phrase that I grew up hearing from my mother that helps you understand my family. And I heard my mom say this over and over again while I was growing up. And the phrase was this, God does not have any grandchildren. God does not have any grandchildren. And she said that because she was born as a Hindu because her dad was a Hindu, and her dad was a Hindu because his dad was a Hindu. And that dad was a Hindu because his dad was a Hindu. And my mom, somewhere along the, the you know, her time as a teenager, had become a believer. And at that point, she recognized that there was a completely different worldview as a believer, that we were not born as Christians. We have a choice, that God has given us a choice. Whereas in Hinduism, you're born a Hindu simply by being in that family. And so, um, you know, my family is still blended today. And so I, I am careful. I still go to Hindu weddings sometimes on occasion. There's still ceremonies or, you know, temple things that happen that I have to, my family has to navigate how we do that with a blended Hindu Christian family. Um, but it's great to be able to see the contrast in how God in our family as believers, as Christians, actually answers our prayers. When we pray God answers them, and we can see the difference. And so, you know, as as we you know chat in this podcast, I'll, I'll share a little bit more about my family story. And is it fair that you know there's this exclusivity claim in our in our 
Christianity, if you believe Jesus is the only way, is is it really fair that Jesus is the only way, and and how does that work? Um, I do want to share just one verse, just to frame everything, and one concept that I think that is universal. Um, I don't know how many people know the name Conrad Lorenz. He's an Austrian zoologist that wow. came up with a phenomena that most people know, although they don't know his name. So I'd like I want to give him credit. Yeah, he's a zoologist that work with geese and ducks. And what he found out is that when the geese or the duck are born, the first thing that they see is what they attach to. And today, everybody knows that as imprinting, uh, right? And I think... I didn't know that. You didn't know that. You know. <laughs> so if, if you've got kids and you raise chicks, you better not be the first face that that chick sees when the egg opens up, because that chick's going to follow you around for the next two weeks. Uh, <laughs> right? There you go. And it's called imprinting. And when you read Romans chapter 1, verse 19, you find in it that God has imprinted himself on creation on, on mankind. So let me just read that verse, and then mm. we'll chat some more about that. It, says, it starts out verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. So that's talking about humans. For since the creation of the world's invisible, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. That is a very excusive claim. It's basically saying God has imprinted himself on creation and on the heart of man so that no person is without excuse. Wow. Wow. Man, Sherwin, you've just you've just exposed us to zoology. That's one great thing that I got from this already. Uh, I thought uh, Mr. Lorenz was a designer, so uh, that's that's cool. That's Ralph Lorenz. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Ralph, that's right. Ralph. That's what it is. If, if you that's listen to a podcast and you do not learn one random fact that you cannot use, right. Then it's a bad podcast. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. Check. All right. We can check. move on. Exactly. We're moving on then. Uh, no. Uh, there's so much depth in what you just shared, just a ton of depth. And and I'd love to kind of take it back to the beginning of that story that you were sharing about your mom and, and, and there's no grandchildren. God doesn't have grandchildren. Do you know your mom's like experience in, in terms of her deciding, Hey, this is the path that I'm going to follow and how that all worked. I mean, that just seems like a fascinating story to me. Yeah. So, so mom was the eldest of nine, and in a Hindu family, it's the oldest child's responsibility to go to the temple and offer sacrifices. And I was born in that village that my mom was born in, and it was predominantly Hindu with a minority of Muslims. They were very little, if, if none, probably Christians in that village. And so my mom's responsibility every month or whenever it was, was to go to the temple and you had all the statues, you know, if you've ever seen on a movie like a Hindu temple with the one statues with elephants and monkeys and all that kind of stuff, that was her job to go and offer food and money. And so she would do that. And as a teenager, she thought to herself, you know, she was thinking, I know the guy down the street in our village that carved this monkey. And now we're praying to this monkey. We think this monkey's going to actually do something if we pray to this monkey, to this elephant. And she thought to herself, how could this be? And I remember she said, one night she was walking home from the temple. She looked up at the sky. And if you know anything about Hinduism, there's over 500,000 gods. And she looks up at the sky and she said, 
She looked up and she said, if there is a God out there, you're going to have to find me because there's no way I can find you. There's 500,000 of you. And so she prayed that. And I think that's the imprinting that's happened in her heart. She knows that there's a God. There is somebody out there. So she prayed that prayer sincerely. And she came to her house. You know, she's Ellis of nine. She's got her uh, staunch Hindu dad and her, her mom. And next week she goes to school and she was an avid reader. And while at school, there were some visitors there that were giving out free storybooks. So what is she to do? She takes this free storybook, she brings it home, and she starts reading it. She reads it from beginning to end. And the stories were fascinating. Whoever wrote them, you know, it was phenomenal fiction. She gets to the end, and there's this note that says, this is not a storybook. It's true. And this person, Jesus Christ, actually lived. And if you want to accept Christ, and it went through the whole gospel, it explained what it was. And so it was the Gideons that came to her school and handed out New Testaments. And so she, without meeting any other Christian or even having a conversation, read the New Testament and believed it, accepted Christ, and did not have any kind of fellowship for two years. She was a Christian by herself with a single New Testament. And that was God finding a way to reach her, breaking through, because I truly believe that God, if we say that we don't believe, but we want to believe that God is big enough to find a way to reach us. Well, Sherwin, I'm just, I mean, first of all, you know, I've heard that story from you three or four times, and every time I just get goosebumps because, you know, just to think of how God answers prayer, but the one thing that you know I'm coming back to, and again, it's kind of hearing it for the first time again, you talked about not being a grandchild of God. What was that process for you? Because your mom has this huge experience of faith, and then there's you. How are you kind of finding yourself growing up with that story, and now obviously you know following Jesus? Yeah, so I think if, if you grew up in a typical Christian home, my guess is Somewhere along the lines, your parents had a devotion with you, and they asked you, point blank, would you like to accept Christ? And maybe at a young age for some of you, you you accepted Christ, and it's a day that's memorialized in your family and your testimony. For my family, my parents were really cautious not to do that, because in, in a Hindu-Indian tradition, you do what your parents tell you to do. And my parents did not want me to do that. They wanted me to have a real relationship with God, and they wanted me to choose that for myself and not to have my family to choose. So what my parents did instead was, my, you know, we went to church, we read the Bible, but what my parents would do, I think, more than the typical Christian parent, is my parents would pray, and they would authentically and sincerely pray about their needs and what was happening in our family. Because what they wanted was for us to see that God was answering prayers. So the way they wanted us to know that God was real was by the way he acted. So if we didn't have money, which happened a lot, you know, I was born in British Guyana. It is the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, second only to Haiti. So there was a lot. And we moved from Guyana to Jamaica as refugees. And then I eventually came to college in the States in 1998. So we moved a lot. There was a lot that we did not have. We were, I've, I've been a minority all of my life. I've always lived in a place in a country where the majority of the people do not look like me. And so we always had a need and my parents would always reach out to God and I would have a front row seat 
to see what God was doing. I'll give you a very um, tangible example. You know, when I finished high school, my parents already had two kids, my, my two brothers already in school, and there was no way that they could afford for, for me to go to college. And so I stayed after high school and I worked a year. And my mom, every single day before I left for work, I had a full-time job, prayed with me that God would provide enough money so that next year I could go to college. And that is a risk because she didn't have the money and here she's praying for it. What if it's a big flop? What if God doesn't come through? And she prayed that with me every single day for a year. And at the end of that year, God had come through and he provided the money. So when I finally came to Rochester and went to RIT as a freshman with two small suitcases, that was it. While everybody else was moving in with their grandparents with laptops and TVs and hot tubs. And, yeah. you know, I mean, you know how freshmen yeah. move in, John. Oh, you see it all the time. Yeah. I come with my two little suitcase, but I knew without a shadow of a doubt that God would answer my prayers because I had seen it happen for the first 19 years of my life. And that was the way that my parents built and imprinted their faith on me. This is the Why God Why podcast. Again, our question today is, why is Jesus the only way? Sherman Dambar is our special guest uh, alongside myself and Peter and John. Guys, I want us to um, move our conversation directly towards, let's say, some of the uh, naysayers that would uh, comment on this conversation. Um, And I think the first thing that all of us would want to address is the idea that um, there's an argument uh, by some that would be it's arrogant to believe that Jesus can be the only way. So how would we address that? You know, I'll just start, you know, one of um, one of the verses that, you know, Christians quote all the time is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's John 14, 6. And, you know, I, I think it, it preaches about exclusivity, but I think one of the things that we miss with that is it's not necessarily Jesus putting his hand down and saying, I'm the only way. It's more of an invitation to life. And I I think that, you know, it's what I love hearing about Sherwin's story. His parents, you know, created an environment for him to make a choice. You know, God was working and God was there, but he was responding to what he saw God doing. And I think that's the same with us is that you know, it's not necessarily about Jesus putting his hand down as an insecure savior and saying, man, like, if you don't follow me, it stinks. But he's saying, if you really want to live life to its fullest, you know, and if you really want to see what life abundantly looks like, then follow me. And I think that sometimes, you know, there's a defensiveness to that. I mean, John, do you experience that, you know, when you're talking in college campuses? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that Jesus is calling us to, and it's important to remember, because sometimes in in our society, we look at the concept of being a Christian as kind of an intellectual exercise. I believe this, therefore I'm a Christian. What Jesus is really calling us to by saying I'm a Christian, that his definition is someone who follows him, someone who is giving their whole life to him and saying, I have chosen to follow you with my life. This is, you're in charge now, not me. You're in charge. 
And so I think we in our independent society, we push up against that and we go, I don't want anybody else in charge of me. Like I want my I want my own way. I want to do what I want to do. So in, in a lot of ways, Jesus invitation to a deeper life is also really offensive to our society in, in, in another way, because he's saying in order to have that deeper life, you need to you need to let go of control and the world isn't going to revolve around you but it's going to be better when it doesn't revolve around you. And I think that's a, a major sticking point and with the people that I talk to. That's a, like, that's a major, you know, sticking point in my own life too. And deciding to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. Like, am I willing to relinquish control of my life and say, I'm going to follow this person instead because it's better to follow him. Um, Sherwin, uh, so you talked a lot about your your mom's journey there. How about your own personal journey? And they're praying for you. You're watching that. How did that play out for you in the context of, you know, yeah, deciding so, to follow Jesus? You know, for me, I, I don't know that I even have a date that I could say this is when I sat down and prayed. Because for me, it was a journey, and I was much older. I was probably you know, middle school or high school or something like that. And I may have accepted Christ maybe 10 times. But if for me, it was a journey where I saw what God was doing and I was able to say, that's what I want. I want a relationship with that God. I don't want a relationship with the other gods that I've seen in my family in the temple because those gods are static and they're not doing every, anything. But every time I see prayer, you know, from my parents to their God, that God makes it happen. Something's happening. And so that was really my the start of my faith. It was that prayer that initiated it. And then I would say as I moved on to college and I was on my own and I started being specific with my prayers, that was when my faith grew because I could see God work. And now it was no longer their stories. It was my story. And that's what built my faith and, and my testimony. You know, Sherwin, hearing your story, there's there's whimsy, um, which I don't think Christians do a good job of. So, you know, one of my, you know, just kind of listening to you and, you know, the three of us here, we've grown up in America, actually, all three, Harry, John, we've all grown up in upstate New York um, for whatever, you know, that's kind of our cultural. So to have someone that didn't grow up here is just so important to listen to. But I, I wonder, I think probably the the problem that people have is like christians can seem arrogant you know by saying jesus is the only way and you know hearing your story there's some whimsy but if you were sitting down knowing that you grew up in you know kind of as a refugee in a third world country how would you respond to that question of you know do christians think that they're better than anyone else based on your story yeah so i lo i love I love this story. If I would give you a one-word answer, is it fair the salvation that Christ has given us, the setup, the scheme, the framework? I would say no. That's my simple answer. Let me let me let me tell you why. Matthew 20 has a parable where it says that the kingdom of God is like a landowner. This landowner goes out and hires people early in the morning and say, "Work for me for a day and I'll pay you a denarii." So he hires those people. And then at the third hour, he hires a bunch of people and say, will you work for me? And they come in and they say, yeah, at the 12th hour. And it goes until one hour to the end of the day, he hires people. And at the end of the day, he pays every single one of them the same 
wage. And in the parable, they ask the landowner, is this fair? And the response of the landowner is, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? And so my answer to, is God's plan of salvation fair? No. It is so generous that it is unfair. If In fact, it is Christianity is the only religion in which you do not have to work for your salvation. In Hinduism, you have to. You have to offer sacrifices. In Islam, you have to. In Buddhism, you have to. Every religion, you have to work for it. And here Christ comes and says, I'm going to give you life to the full, and you don't have to work for it. It's a completely unfair system. And I think where Christianity or Christians have hit a speed bump is the way that we pass on that message. It's not the actual message. It's the way that we pass it on. And so, you know, you might be listening here and you're not a Christian and you're thinking like, when I think of the Christian way of salvation or Christians, I think they're arrogant and they're hypocrites. And you may have encountered Christians that are. Unfortunately, that's that stuff. But it is not the, the gospel. It is not the salvation that Christ actually offers. There's a phenomenal quote by D.T. Niles. He was a theologian from Sri Lanka, and it's one of my favorite quotes about Christianity. And it really reflects the tone that Christians should have when they're sharing the gospel. And here's here, here it is. He said, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. And if you're a Christian and that's your attitude when you're sharing your testimony or you're sharing Christ or the gospel, if you're coming across as anything more than a beggar who's found bread, you're probably too arrogant. Mm, I love that quote. That's like one of my favorite quotes about sharing who Jesus is with other people. Um, I, I do think a lot of people struggle with this concept of what does Christianity what does Christianity really teach? What is it all about? If you had to encapsulate the message of Jesus and how it's different, like what does Jesus say versus other religions, as you just said, how would you how would you describe what Jesus says is the way to eternal life or or to heaven or just to experience life as he's intended it? Jesus boils it down, the gospel boils it down really to confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then because of that life change on the inside, everything changes on the outside. What happens often is as believers or other other people look, we try to change people on the outside instead of on the inside. We we are now co- you know, we're coercing them into behavior modification. And the truth is if you're a believer, you probably will admit that you struggle with stuff. So how is it that you, who have the Holy Spirit, who have Christ, is allowed to struggle with stuff, but somebody without, you think they can do it, and they don't even have Christ? So I think really it's it's about getting to the heart first, and then letting Christ do life change on the outside. It starts from the inside out. And that's why the gospel is about the heart. It's believing with your heart, confessing with your mouth. It's that simple. Well, so uh, just just to be super specific, because I think sometimes people can hear that verse in Romans, you're not just talking about, like, if I just say, I believe in Jesus, it changed. Like, you're talking about an inside transformation that, like, it's not just something that people say, but it's something that happens 
Like it's almost as if it's not your mouth that's saying it, it's your heart that's saying it. Yes. So it is about life change and life change happens from the inside out. We like to conclude Sherwin every podcast with our special guest and and with Peter and John. We like to bring Jesus into the conversation. Now, it's pretty interesting today. <laughs> Jesus is uh, our, our main topic. Um, but I'll, I'll try to frame it the best I can in that, you know, we ask, uh, we ask, what is Jesus teaching us about uh, our questions or our question, why is Jesus the only way? I suppose what we would want to ask and, and conclude for our, our listeners is with, with the culture's view of Christianity and the different options you have to choose as uh, a person on this earth, maybe why do we pick Jesus? Why do we see him as the best option? John, how about you start? Well, we always we like to always give our guests the final say. Yeah, so absolutely. Basi- sure. Basically, if John and I mess up, we know that at least sure one guy's got this right. Clean up. He's going to do great. <laughs> He's going to do great. No, um, as I as I think about that question and really framing this, I think about Jesus' invitation. Uh, it's interesting as you look at Jesus and you read about him in the Bible. I think it's fascinating how even he deals with people who are following him and investigating him. He has this group of of 12 guys that have been following him around for three years. And then he looks at them at one point and he says to them, who does everybody say that I am? And these are people that have been following him, like literally every day putting their head on the same rock that his rock that that he this his head is on to sleep you know i mean it's like they're around him and he asks them who do people say that i am and then people start quoting you know different things maybe you're a prophet some people say you're this some people say you're that and then he has this moment where he goes but what do you say who do you say that i am and i think that's probably the defining question of this life if Jesus is who he says he is, is the question of who do we say Jesus is? And we've talked about this before in different podcasts, but I don't think there's really any substitute for looking in the Bible, for doing, for praying a prayer similar to what Sherwin described his mother's prayer of God, if you're out there, show me, and really looking at Jesus' life and saying, Jesus, who are you? Are you worth following? Because if you are, I need to know that. And if you if if this is really worth my whole life, then I need you to show me that this is worth my life. And interestingly enough, you, you know, Jesus, you know, Peter, one of the disciples, looks at Jesus and he's and he says to Jesus, you know, you're the you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, wow, that wasn't from you. That was from God that you said that. And um, I think that's really the, the the point at which Jesus can bring us. But we, we have the inability to do that on our own sometimes. So I think we need kind of a revelation from God on that to see it. And I don't think we can force other people into that. I love that beggar showing another beggar where there's food. And that's the message of Christianity at its, at its core. Yeah, John, that's a great point. Uh, you know, as we were talking, I was thinking about, um, you know, one of my favorite books that I've read in the last couple of years, it's called The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz. And he, he gives this beautiful example that, you know, grocery study or grocery stores did studies on um, what jam or jelly to buy for peanut butter and jelly. 
And they found that when there was less options, people actually experienced more fulfillment versus I think they had like 50 like up. And I think about that because it, it so represents our culture that we so desire, you know, to not miss out, you know, the fear of missing out, the fear of being left out. And yet when it comes to landing on something, we actually miss out on what it looks like to commit. And I think in Jesus's sort of whimsy and invitation way, what he's saying is you're more than welcome to choose through the 50 options. You're more than welcome. But what would happen if you responded to me? You know, I've heard a pastor sometimes lay out the the challenge like, you know, just decide to do what the Bible tells you to do and ask God for help, help and just see what happens. And I think that, you know, for those of you out there that are struggling with whether to follow Jesus or not, you know, there's this idea, taste and see, you know, be willing to do that. And I think one of the best things that Sherwin brought today was, you know, sometimes churches and Christians and parents, it's all about knowing the right facts. Whereas what Sherwin, I think, teaches us today about this question about Jesus' exclusivity is to experience the right things. And so, you know, we think if we have all of our options open, we think that if we land somewhere that we're going to miss out. Whereas Jesus is saying there's a freedom in knowing how I created you and how I made you and ultimately the life I give. So sure. When I'm excited to hear these last words of what you got. <laughs> so I can't tell a knock, knock joke. <laughs> so it's I, good. <laughs> so, so I really think if we, if we boil down and we got to the heart of a conversation with almost anybody, they would, they would admit that they have a desire to have a connection with God. I think we were made that way. When you read Genesis, that's what Adam did in the evening. He worked and then he walked and talked with God. God loved it. Adam loved it. That connection with God was there. And throughout the the rest of the Bible, you'll see glimpses of it after the fall. Maybe Moses had an intimate conversation with God here and there, maybe Elijah, maybe a prophet here and there. And then when you get to Revelations and you see what the end game is, that is the end game for us to be in an intimate relationship, in companionship with God. And here comes Jesus, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And I'm going to do the work. All you have to do is accept it. And so what Jesus is for me is that generous gift, that invitation for us to be connected to God. He said, I'm going to bridge the gap. I'm going to make the shortfall. I am the way so that you can be connected back to God again. No other religion in the world is that generous to give you something to pay the price for that connection. You have to work for it. Jesus is the only one that says, I'm going to do it. All you have to do is just accept it. That is sure. And Damdar, thank you for being our guest on the Why God Why podcast. Thank you. If you have any questions you'd like Peter, John, or myself to address in a future episode or just like to comment on our podcast, please check us out at whygodwhypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>